Good morning. Okay, I just want you to be honest for a second. When we were singing the new song, and we were singing the Oh Come All You Faithful part there, the, you know, the melody for that, when it went back to, you know, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him, who kept singing the melody for Oh Come All You Faithful? Because <laughs> I absolutely did, and was like, ah! <laughs> that was just mean. <laughs> who, who wrote that? Phil Wickham, yeah. Phil Wickham, mean. <laughs> I was reading a story about a defendant who was on trial for murder, and there was, there was pretty strong evidence that he was guilty, but there was, there was no corpse that was found. So uh, in the defense's closing statement, the lawyer who knew that his client was probably going to get convicted, he resorted to a trick. Now, don't ask Tom if this is right, because it's probably not, but... Uh, but he says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you all. And he looks at his watch. He says, within one minute, the presumed dead person is going to walk through that courtroom door. He's going to walk into this courtroom. And he looks toward the courtroom door. And the jurors, they're, they're kind of stunned at this. And they're all looking on pretty eagerly. But a minute passes, nothing happens. And finally, the lawyer says, actually, I made up the previous statement, but you all looked on with anticipation. I therefore put to you that you have a reasonable doubt in this case as to whether anyone was killed and insist that you return a verdict of not guilty. Now, the jury, a little confused by this, but they're like, okay, well, we, they go and retire to deliberate. But a few minutes later, the jury returns and they pronounce a verdict of guilty. And the lawyer, of course, shocked. He's like, wait, how is this happening? You must have had some doubt. I saw you stare at the door. And the jury foreman replied, oh, we looked, but your client didn't. <laughs> the jury looked. They had a little bit of doubt, right? Or at least they had some curiosity to be like, is there a dead person going to be walking through the door? That'd be awesome. We can struggle with doubt sometimes, right? Like even when things are going pretty well, we, we can struggle with doubt. But what about if somebody were to come to you and say to you, they're gonna, something impossible is going to happen. How, how would you respond to that? Like, would you believe it? Would you doubt? I mean, you know, you're thinking there's no way this could possibly be done. But this person is saying, no, it's, it's going to happen. Would you trust them? Maybe it depends on who they were, right? If you would trust them. Or would you doubt them? I probably would doubt them. <laughs> That's more my nature. Well, we're starting a four-week Christmas series as we're leading up to the Sunday of Christmas Eve. And there are so many amazing stories in the gospel narratives of uh, the story of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And what I wanted to do, what Jeff alluded to, is I want to pull out and highlight a few people each week and who are there involved in these stories. And what we're going to do is we're going to look and, and see, we're going to compare them and how they respond to Jesus. We're calling this series, Behold, Our Savior is Here. And we want to see how people react to the birth of Christ. What we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to find these people and compare and contrast how they dealt with the birth of Jesus. Now, for today's message, we're actually going to look at two different people. And we're going to look at two different birth announcements as well. 
we're going to go back 9 and 15 months before Jesus' birth. And we're going to look at the announcements of the births of two different people, both Jesus and John the Baptist. And we're going to look at the reactions of those people who were told about these births. And, and these were impossible things when you were, uh, were presented with it. So let's get started. We'll start with John the Baptist. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open them to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. That's where we're going to be for the next few weeks. We're going to be in Luke 1, Luke 2, and uh, Matthew chapter 2, I think, as well, a little bit. So you can get a head start if you just want to read the Christmas story over and over, if you don't know it already. Um, but it's a good thing. So Luke, 5, uh, Luke 1, verse 5 says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So we want to look at this. We've got this priest, Zechariah, and he's working at the temple in Jerusalem. And, and in, this is something that would have been rare for a priest in their, their duties. Like they would work in local areas. So like, you know, they work in Maple Grove or something. But then one time in their lifetime, they get to go and serve at the temple. And so this one time in his lifetime, his division gets to go serve at the temple. And Zechariah is chosen by lot to go and light the incense. So being chosen by lot, basically, it's kind of like picking straws kind of thing. But really, it's more like rolling dice. You're like casting dice in front of somebody and um, over and over until you, the person gets actually picked. Now, to us, that probably seems like a whole lot of chance going on. But it's really not because it's really God who's in control of it. God had Zechariah in this place at this time for a very specific purpose. And so as Zechariah is in there doing his priestly duty, he gets a visitor in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped by fear as I think would happen if an angel just suddenly appeared. He gets startled and then gripped by fear. You know, when I went back to school about, what, 12 years ago now? 12, went back to IU for, to get my, uh, get my undergrad degree. I moved back home with mom and dad. They were very gracious and let me move back home with them because I didn't have a job and I was going back to school. So um, I love my mother and father. I, I know I've said that many times, but... I still do. <laughs> uh, well, so at the, at the house, we've got a basement, and so I lived in the basement and everything. And uh, one evening, I got up. It was probably springtime or something. And I got up and was going to the bathroom, and uh, I turned on a light, and there was this thing on the wall. And this thing on the wall had many legs. Is a house centipede. Do you do you know what a house centipede is? So wall mustache. 
That's Casey's version of it. <laughs> I look at it as spawn of Satan, but <laughs> like, so I don't like spiders. I don't, I really don't like much that crawls on the ground except a baby. Um, and even then, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but these things are like a spider with a billion legs. It's the worst. The worst. I was looking for, I was going to put a picture up there, but they all, I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to. So the first time that I saw one of those, I was startled. And then I was gripped with fear because I was just like, <gasps> it was awful. It was awful. I think I just left it there. I think I was like, I don't have to go to the bathroom anymore. Uh, I'm going going back to bed. I'm just going back. Maybe it'll be gone. I think it was in the morning. Um, at some point, I had to had kill them. Uh, then I realized they are the most fragile bugs on the history of the God's green earth because if you hit them once with a, with a fly swatter, legs go flying. Um, I know this is what you're looking for on Sunday morning. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. They're awful. Anyway, I was gripped by fear by those. Now, maybe you'd think like I do that, that house centipedes are evil and are, are the spawn of Satan. Um, and if you do think that, you're right. But, but maybe you're like, well, why would we be afraid of an angel? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, you've seen pictures of angels. They're all beautiful and happy and just have big wings and, and it's, it's, uh, it's lovely, right? Or they're little babies on toilet paper rolls, you know? Like, it's beautiful. But that's not the biblical version of an angel. I want to read to you what a description of an angel is. This is from Daniel chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. So Daniel is by this body of water, I believe, and an angel appears to him. And here's what it says. It says Daniel's writing this. He says, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. And we're like, okay, yeah, that looks great. That's awesome. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. That's different. That's different. Daniel's reaction to this was to lose all strength, going to the ground, face first, and he fell asleep. Like, that ought to tell you what it's like to be in the presence of an angel. That's why people tried to worship angels, because there was something so other about them. Now, this isn't even getting into, like, seraphim and cherubim, because they're just terrifying. Like, if you read the descriptions of them, uh, go to Isaiah 6, I think? Isaiah 3? I don't know. I know my Bible. Anyway, they're total fear. Like, that's how Daniel reacted. Now, I did not fall to the floor that night in the bathroom um, in total fear because that's where the centipedes go. So I didn't go down there, but that's what Daniel did. Well, what's what Zechariah, he is, we go back to the temple. Zechariah is there. He's visited by an angel, Gabriel, and he's terrified, as I think you would be. Well, what's Gabriel's response to Zechariah's fear? Verse 13 but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, 
And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. First thing he tells him, don't be afraid. Don't, that, that would be, you know, I mean, I could think of a, that's, that's what a, a house centipede's going to tell me. Like, don't be afraid. I can't really hurt you. But he says, don't be afraid. And then he gives him a, a wonderful message of great news. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth have been trying to have kids. They're older now. They, Elizabeth was barren, never had kids. But now they're going to have a son. Something impossible, right? And this is a son that comes with some pretty cool bonuses. He's going to be a joy and delight to them. Many are going to rejoice because of his birth. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. What a promise. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. That didn't happen every day. He's going to bring many people back to the Lord, and he's going to prepare them for the Lord's coming. And how does Zechariah respond to hearing this news? Verse 18, Zechariah asks a question. He says, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He asks a question. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife, well along in years. I always think that's the worst thing to say about your wife. (laughs) I mean, at least he didn't call her old, but, you know. (laughs) She's just well along in years. (laughs) But the big thing is, he doesn't really believe what Gabriel's telling him here. Which blows my mind, because angel appears in front of you and tells you something, you're like, What do you mean? What do you mean? And I don't want to be too hard on Zechariah because, honestly, I may not believe an angel if he just appeared in front of me. I'd probably be passed out. But there's a consequence to this unbelief, though. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So because of this unbelief, he's, he loses the ability to use his voice. Until the proper time, until John is born. And that's what happens as you, as you read the story. You know, he, he leaves... Um, And we'll finish that up here. Verse 21, it says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So he goes home. He finishes up his, his activities at the temple. He goes home. 
and he and his wife become pregnant. Well, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And what does she do? She praises God. You know, the Lord's done this for me. He's taken, he's shown his favor, taken away my disgrace among the people because it, it was, unfortunately, in the first century, like if you couldn't have kids, that wasn't a great thing. And eventually, John is born, and Zechariah shows his trust in, in God's plan because he's still unable to speak, and everybody's arguing about what to name John. And he eventually writes something down on a little tablet and says, no, his name is John. And at that point, he's, he's able to speak, and then he sings a song of praise to the Lord. Let's take a look at another reaction of an unexpected birth. We go to Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So we're six months later, and Gabriel appears again. And this time he appears to a young woman who's engaged to be married. And her name is Mary. Her fiancé's name is Joseph. So what do we know about Mary? There's a few things that we get from this. One, she's pledged to be married to Joseph. And in that culture, being engaged was way different than it is today. Back then, when you were pledged to be married, it probably would have been arranged and arranged by your parents and everything. But... But back then, you were basically married when that happened. Like, if you wanted to separate, you couldn't just say, ah, we'll just call it off. You know, you had to actually kind of file for divorce for it. You know, it's not like today where, you know, nobody really wants the commitment. Like, you were signing up for commitment, or I guess you were being signed up for commitment. But they were committed. So that's the first thing. She was pledged to be married to Joseph. Second thing is she's pretty young. And again, looking at the culture, women were married at a, at a very young age, what we would consider a young age today. So she's probably in her teens somewhere, like late, mid to late teens, 15, 18. Um, and that's just the way the culture was at the time. And the third thing is that she's a virgin. She's not been with a guy. So we continue, verse 28. Where it says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Gabriel appears again, this time to Mary. And he says, greetings, you who are highly favored. Which I think is a pretty cool way to be greeted. Uh, and she is greatly troubled, which again, makes sense. But Gabriel tells her, just like he did with Zechariah, do not be afraid. Because she has found favor with God. And then he tells her what's going to happen. He tells her that she's going to have a son. And she's going to call him Jesus. And just like Zechariah, she asks a question in verse 34. How will this be? Mary asks. 
since I am a virgin. And then Gabriel answers in verse 35. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. She asks, how will this be? And then he tells her, you know. And her reaction to that we see in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. We've got two announcements here and two reactions to those announcements. You have Zechariah who who asked a question, but it was a question out of unbelief. How can I be sure that this is going to happen? How can I be sure? Mary questioned, but it wasn't a question of unbelief. She was just like, okay, how's this actually going to happen? Like, what, what is going to happen here? And then she said the, the best thing possible. After getting the explanation, it's, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. Zechariah had nine months to kind of think about that, not being able to talk, which I know for a lot of you women, that's a blessing, right? You know, your guys not being able to talk, but uh, they can't argue back. It'd be great. <laughs> but, uh, but he had nine months, and then he showed that he trusted after that. But Mary's trust was right from the beginning. And imagine, like, the mental math she had to go through with this too because she's engaged to be married and she's going to get pregnant and you can look at that a couple different ways but neither of them are going to go well right because if people think that she got pregnant before she got engaged then or got pregnant while she got engaged then they're either going to think that she cheated on joseph which wouldn't go well, like that's punishable by death, or that they got together before they actually got married, which wasn't good in the culture either. Imagine, though, like what she would have had to go through, like the talk about her, the the accusations, the questions, and that's not going to be an easy answer to say, right? Like, oh, you know, you got pregnant, huh? Well, I mean, an angel of the Lord came to me. And, you know, told me I was going to be pregnant and the savior of the, the world is, is going to be the child. How do you think that's going to go? <laughs> Probably not super well. I mean, it, it had been 400 years, remember, too. Like there is a 400-year gap between the end of the Old Testament and this period. So it wasn't going to go well. But in the face of all of that, her response was still to say, I'm the Lord's servant. When I was taking my graduate studies at uh, Moody Seminary, I took a class on uh, hermeneutics, which is basically just interpreting the Bible. 
And I was studying the section on application, and, and I came across this story in one of the textbooks called Grasping God's Word. It's a story of a professor who traveled to the Holy Land, and he came across this guy who claimed that he could, could repeat the entire Old Testament. He, he had it memorized, and he would bring it out. But he also had it memorized in Hebrew. Now, I will tell you, I have read the entire Old Testament, and I've studied Hebrew. And that's impressive if you've got that memorized and can actually know it. Like, it's a dead language, um, ancient Hebrew. And so it's impressive if you know what it's saying and, and can, can just pull it out. Like, that's awesome. Well, the, uh, the professor was intrigued, of course, and they went to the guy's house, and the guy was like, well, all right, where do you want to start? He's like, well, I love the Psalms. He had studied the Psalms, so he's like, start in Psalm 1. And he did, and did it flawlessly for two hours, just kept uh, reciting Scripture and everything. And, and it, was a, it was a really neat story to hear, to read. The professor found something interesting out about this guy. Said this guy was an atheist. He knew the Bible better than we do, probably. And yet he didn't believe what it said. And that's the major step that we have to take, right? We gotta read it. We gotta we gotta take it, read it, we gotta we gotta understand the meaning in what we're reading, and we've got to apply it to our lives. We got to live it out. Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. And we've got his commands. They've passed down to us for the last 2,000 years in, in scriptures. And when we follow them, when we actually put them into practice into our lives, you know, it shows the world who we are. Because it can't just be head knowledge, right? Like that guy in the Holy Land, he had the head knowledge of it. But it never manifested into anything else. You know, when I studied at IU, I took a class on the letters of Paul. And that professor had the head knowledge of it. But he didn't believe at all. And you've got to move from knowing it to doing it. Like, it's got to move from your head to your hands and your feet. And that's what Mary did. Mary knew everything that was to come, right? There have been prophecies. You know, Jeff read one. There have been prophecies about the Messiah for hundreds of years before Christ was born. But everybody was looking forward to that day. Everybody was looking forward to the Messiah coming. And so Mary knew all of that. And then she gets presented with the opportunity. And when that happens, she basically is like, I'm all in. You should, she moved, right? She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. What will you do when God asks you to move? Will you be like Zechariah and be like, well, I got to make sure everything's in place beforehand. How, how can this happen? You know, it seems impossible. It is impossible, but nothing's impossible with God. Will you move when God asks you to, whatever he asks you to do?
And I pray that we all will. We may have to ask some clarifying questions. <laughs> That's what Mary did, right? It's like, okay, how's this going to happen? Like, you may have to ask that. But still move. Still move. And, and, and I pray that, that our response is the same as Mary's. That we are able to say the very same thing. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you will ask us to move. We know that you've given us tasks, but we also know that you've given us gifts and and abilities that are unique to us and that you want to use those. And you've given us the opportunity to say yes. And so I pray that we would respond the same way that Mary did. Just say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. Now her task, we know, Lord, you put so much on her. So important. And and while we may not have quite that importance in task. We know that what you still ask us to do because you are asking us is still going to be important. Father, as we continue to go through these stories over the next four weeks or three weeks after this one, we, we just pray that you would help us to see places where we can put your word into action. But we also just use this time building up to December 25th we use this time as a reminder to celebrate what is most important this at this time of year and that is the birth of your son the birth of Jesus because of a faithful young woman who said yes We know that your plan was going to succeed regardless. But to be able to include her is a wonderful thing. But Lord, we also, even though we know it's a time of celebration, it's also a time to remember that Jesus was born so that he could die for us. And that is a sobering reminder. But Lord, we do remember that. We remember your love for us, that you did not leave us in the state that we're in, in a state of sin, but that Jesus became sin for us on the cross. And we thank you for that. We take this time in our service to come around the table of communion that he instituted on the night that he was arrested where he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood spilled for you. We take the time now in our service to remember the sacrifice that was made. 
are so thankful. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.